Amen. You do belong here. And I'm so glad that you are here. And I'm so glad that as we gather together, that the Lord does move in our midst. And so I do hope and pray that he will do that again today. Uh, We are in the third week of our series called Stir. And if you have not been here the last few weeks, uh, I would encourage you to go online and listen to the messages that maybe you missed. At the very least, if you would, go back and listen to the the launch message to this series. Um, the, The reason why I would encourage you to do that is I talked a little bit during that message about what I believe God is doing in this congregation and how he is stirring up this congregation and, uh, and so if you haven't, if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. Um, I talk about what he's doing, and then I talk a little bit about what our response needs to be to God stirring the congregation. And I talked about the fact that I asked you to really pray, to be praying for this church and for the leadership of this church. I asked you not only to do that, but also to allow that kind of unsettledness that maybe happens when the Lord is stirring our hearts to to really change into uh, expectations, so to intentionally be expecting God to be moving in our midst. And so uh, not only pray, pray, expect, and then ask, I ask you to stir as well. Because the vast majority of the times in Scripture when it says that our hearts are being stirred, it says that God is the one who's doing it. But there are three occasions in Scripture where it tells us to stir things up ourselves. Last week we talked about Hebrews 10, 24, and how we are called to stir one another up to love and good works, to stir one another up to love and those good works as it talks about are, are that which God has called us to, that he has put, us in, put in front of us, to stir our, ourselves up or stir one another up to love on purpose is what we called it. And so I encourage you to do those things, but we're going to continue on and talk about the second of those today. And so if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to have to jump right in because we have a lot of ground to cover today. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out all across the seats this morning. If you would, just reach over and grab one of those. It is good to see the Grazas here with us today. I'm glad you guys have joined us. Um, uh, it's exciting to have you here back with us. I'll do my best to preach. If I, if I don't hit my marks, you let me know afterwards, okay? All right, he's going to do it. So um, if you uh, grab those Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you today. We want you to be able to take that with because we believe strongly in the power of Scripture. And so if you don't have a Bible, take that one. Uh, once you have your Bibles, if you'd open them up to 2 Timothy, and if you have one of the church's Bibles, that will be on page 995. We're talking about the second of the times in the New Testament where God tells us to be stirring up. Uh, last week, stir up among one another, stir up love on purpose, and, and this week we want to jump into the second of those. And so we're in 2 Timothy, if you have the church Bible, 995, page 995. Five. And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to jump right in in verse 6. Here's what it says. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What a great passage of scripture. First thing I noticed when I opened up my ESV and started reading that verse is it doesn't say to stir anywhere in it. 
Have you ever had an occasion where you memorized a verse in one version of the Bible, and then you're reading it in a different version, and you're like, that doesn't say what I thought it said? So we're doing this series called Stir, and right from the beginning, I have this verse memorized, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that fits right in, 2 Timothy 1.6. And I get into it this week, and I'm like, ESV does not say stir. So you know what I did? I went over to the bookcase, and I pulled out the old KJV, King James Version, and I literally dusted it off. And I opened it up to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And let me tell you what the King James Version says today. Yeah. Here's what it says. Real Bible today in God's Version. Here's what it says. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou... I don't know why anybody would ever move on from this version. All right, let me start again. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What a great passage of scripture in God's version. Let's read it in the New King James Version because this is the one that I actually memorized it in. New King James. Early on, somebody told me you're not a real, this actually happened. You're not a real Christian unless you're reading from the King James Version. And so I couldn't handle the King James Version. This is right after I accepted Christ. So I was really into the New King James Version. So that's what I memorized it in. Here's what it says in the New King James. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's a couple things that I do notice about this passage. And the first thing is, last week we, we, when it talked about stirring up, it was stirring up in each other love and good works. You remember that? That it's not, don't worry about stirring this up in yourself. You look at the person next to you and you stir it up in them. You stir them up to love. You stir them up to purpose. This week, it's not that at all. You don't need to worry about the person next to you. You don't need to worry about the person in front of you. You focus on you, right? You stir this up in you. That's what it says here. Stir up in you the gift of God. So here's the thing about fires. Right now, in the United States, there are over 100 fires that are burning in the United States, most out west. Over 100 fires, wildfires that are burning. In California alone, right now, there are three of the largest fires in the history of California that are burning in this moment right now. One of the fires that's burning in California is, is called the Holy Fire. I don't know if you've been following this at all. It was a fire that was lit by a guy who was apparently mentally unstable, um, who is uh, psychologically unbalanced. And so he lit this fire in a canyon called Holy Jim Canyon or something like that. He started this fire for whatever reason, and after he started, immediately it began to spread. And at this point, it's over 22,000 acres in size, the fire that is burning called the Holy Fire, which I think is the worst possible name for a wildfire. 
Because, like, you don't want it to burn out. Holy fire. Right? But you want the, the firefighters to get it under control, but you're like, it's a holy fire. You don't want that to burn out. Man, you want that to keep on burning. So I'm like, don't name it the holy fire. Name it something else. Because fires, when they, when they start to spread, they spread. When I was first moved out to the country, my father-in-law, Phil Farrand, said, I was burning something, and he said, now, Alan, you be careful because when we first moved out here, there were some linemen who were kind of clearing out some some uh, of the branches and trees and stuff that were getting in the lines, and so they started burning them, but it got away from them. Started a massive grass fire. So we called up the fire department, and at the time, the fire department was, we're on the volunteer fire department, and they heard the fire department drive by, and then they heard it drive by again, and then they heard it drive by a third time. And so he said, just listen, you just got to be really careful while you're burning. I'm like, come on, man. I know how to burn a fire. I'm a man. And so I was really early on, there was this shed that was out there, old wood shed, and I wanted to get this thing gone. And so I tear the thing down, and I think I've got all this old wood. Nobody reclaims that stuff. I might as well just burn it. Right now, looking back, I should have made a counter out of it or something, but, I, but I'm like, i got to burn this stuff. And so I didn't want to haul it all the way up to the, where the fire pit was, so I thought I'll just burn it in place. And I didn't clear out the grass around it, and I'm thinking, it'll be fine. And so I start burning the stuff, and it starts to spread a little bit. And at first, I'm able to stamp it out. I'm like, oh, that was good. And then it kept spreading, and before I knew it, I couldn't put it out just with my feet, otherwise I'd light myself on fire. So I jump on the four-wheeler, drive up to the house, get a fire gallon bucket of water, drive back, pour it on the fire, and I realize, okay, it's gotten bigger. So I do it again. I do it like three times, and at that point, I'm like, it's okay. It's time to call the fire department. And so I call up the fire department, and I said, I want you guys to know it's a little grass fire, just a little grass fire. And um, so you probably don't need to bring out a ton of vehicles. Because I'm like, the moment they get the fire truck out here with the sirens and the flashing lights, my father-in-law is going to come out and he's going to see it. So I'm like, it's a little fire, just a little fire. And so they, but what I didn't know was that we were coming up on a vote. Okay. For those of you who live in the same fire district as me several years back, there was a vote where we increased our taxes and they started uh, hiring fire uh, the fire department and it's gone, like gotten so much better since we've done that tax and our, really our fire department at this point is top notch. But anyways, at the time they were coming up on the vote and I think they needed to prove that they were worth what they were about to get paid, right? So they don't just bring out one little truck. They bring out every fire truck they have. And there's sirens and there's lights and I'm just dying here. And that, out comes Phil Farron and he goes, hey, what's going on out here? And I'm like, oh, and they put it out. But that fireman, once it started, it spread. And I'm glad they brought more than one fire truck because it had gotten into the trees. And I'm starting to go, okay, we might have a problem here. I lived here for three months and I burned our house down. You know, like that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Um, so anyways, this fire just spread really quickly and it realized, okay, fires, they spread. So right before this passage was written, 
2 Timothy. There was a fire in Rome. It was a fire that burned for six days. It consumed as much as three quarters of Rome. If you Google fire, Rome, you'll be able to look it up. Almost three quarters of Rome was destroyed in this fire. So immediately everybody starts pointing fingers. Who's responsible for the fire? And Mrs. O'Leary's cow hadn't been born yet, and so they had to find somebody who was responsible. So rumors started that the emperor was responsible. Emperor Nero was responsible. And rumors said that he was playing his fiddle while Rome burned. And rumors said that he burned down the city in order to increase the size of his palace. It didn't help that after the city burned down, he increased the size of his palace, but regardless. So the rumors begin. And Nero, like any good politician, what does he do? Finds someone else to blame. So he points his finger at a little religious sect called the Christians. He says they're responsible for the fire in Rome and begins a persecution against the Christians unlike anything that had been seen to that point. Christians were being burned alive. And so Paul's sitting here in 2 Timothy as he writes this in a prison. And he's soon to be martyred. Soon to be killed. And he's not the only one who's martyred either. Of the apostles... Probably Peter was also martyred by Nero. And so, essentially what we've got is this. You've got the first generation that is getting ready to pass away. Right? And Paul himself said, I would rather go and be with Christ, but for your sake, because of the church, because I want to see the church continue to move forward, I will remain because of what, how much I care about you and love you. But now Paul doesn't have an option anymore. Right? He's in prison, about to, be, about to be martyred. He's going to lose his head. Peter's going to pass away. So you're saying one generation is getting ready to pass away, and they're handing it off to the next generation, which, boy, that seems like kind of a sensitive time, you know? And so Paul says, what is the thing that is so important for you to grasp? And he says to Timothy, stir into flames the gift of God which is in you. So if this is important to Paul in that type of a situation, boy, it kind of should be important to us too, don't you think? Stir into flame, stir up the gift of God. So now I want to know, what is the gift of God? What is he even talking about there? Because we should be doing the exact same thing. Well, the word that's used for gift there is the same word that's used all in the New Testament for gifts of the Spirit. Grace gifts is what it's called. Grace gifts is the literal translation of it. So when Paul is talking to Timothy, he's saying, stir into flames the gift of the Spirit which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay. So we need to know what gift of the Spirit is Paul talking about to Timothy that he says, this is so important that you get this because I'm going to soon be gone. And so what we need to do is figure that out. And so I'm going to go back to the ESV because I... This thing's so heavy. I don't know what it is. Like, I can barely hold it up. Anyway, so ESV, it's a little lighter. Whew, yeah, much better. All right. Well, thankfully, we kind of 
have an idea of what the gift of the Spirit is that Paul's talking about here because he talks about it in different spots. He talks about it later on in 2 Timothy, but he also talks about it in 1 Timothy. So flip over one page to the left with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. This is another spot that he's talking about, this gift of the Spirit to Timothy. Here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to pick up. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So it sure seems like this is the exact same occasion that he's talking about in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 1.6. That it's like there's this moment where Paul and the elders lay their hands on him and that's when this gift of the Spirit is in him. So it says, do not neglect the gift which you have, which is given you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So he's talking about the gift of the Spirit, and most likely, based on what we're seeing here, the gift of the Spirit he's talking about is preaching and teaching and pastoring and based on some things in Second Timothy, maybe evangelism is a part of it as well. We're not entirely sure, but that seems to be the gift of the Spirit that he is talking about. We talk about gifts of the Spirit, and a lot of us don't really know much about the gifts of the Spirit. There are three places in the New Testament where there are lists of gifts of the Spirit. And I wish we could go through and read all of them right now, but we don't have time. So, if you want to read them, I want to, I'll just tell you what they are, and you can go back and read them a different time, okay? So pull out a pen and paper and write down Romans 12. Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12. It's easy to remember. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? These are where you see these gifts of the Spirit and the lists of the gifts of the Spirit. I do want to pop into one other verse that talks about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, because I need to lay some foundation before we come back to what it means to stir them up. Okay, so I just need to work through a few things to get everybody on the same page. So if you would flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4 today. 1 Peter chapter 4. Just want to read through a passage that talks about these gifts of the Spirit. We're going to start reading in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9. Here's what it says. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First thing I notice about this passage of scripture. Verse 10. As each has received a gift. As each has received a gift. Let me to tell you who the gifts of the Spirit are not for. They are not for the person in front of you. They are not for the person beside you. They're not for that one person who is confident. They're not for your pastor. 
The gifts of the Spirit are for you. And you worry about you. The gifts of the Spirit are for you, as each has received a gift. Who's exempt from that? (laughs) I don't see anyone. Gifts of the Spirit are for you. Second thing I notice from this scripture is what it's for. Use it to serve one another. You know how many times when you've got a list of the gifts of the Spirit where it is tied closely with love? Do you want to know how many times that when you have a list of the gifts of the Spirit or here in 1 Peter, for example, where you've got a gifts of the Spirit conversation and it's tied together with love? The answer is every time. <laughs> every time. Like right here in 1 Peter chapter 4. I don't have it up on the screen, but right before this passage we're reading, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Like, When you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit without talking about love because love is the motivating factor. We are using these gifts not for ourselves, but instead to serve those around us, okay? So if you are talking about the gifts of the Spirit, you are talking about serving, all right? Third thing I noticed from this passage is after it says, uh, uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another— The words, as good stewards of God's very graces. What a great phrase that is, stewards of the gifts. Just as we talk about being stewards of our finances, they belong to God, right? Our time, we are stewards of our time, it belongs to God, but he gives it to us to choose how to use it. In the same way, God gives us these gifts, and we become stewards of them. And some of us think that when a gift of the Spirit moves on us, like, we have no choice in the matter. (laughs) Boy, I don't see that in Scripture at all. Every time that it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, you know what else it talks about besides love? Self-control. We are in control of these things, and as the Spirit moves, we choose how it's used or not used. If we're a steward, we can decide whether or not to use the finances for the Lord or not. We can use them for ourselves, or we can just not use it at all. We can take that money and bury it in the ground. And guess what? We can do the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. God moves on us, and we can say, no, I'm not ready to move in that way. God gives us a gift, and we can choose however we're going to respond to it, and we can take the gift that God gives us, and we can bury it in the ground. We are stewards of the gifts of God, and it actually says as stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace. And then it gives us two categories of gifts of the Spirit. Right? Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you've got two separate categories. You've got some gifts of the Spirit, which are including speaking. And then you've got other gifts of the Spirit, which don't have speaking as a part of them. They're just service gifts. And, and, and everybody who's like introverted is like, awesome. 
If you're an introvert right now, stand up and say, amen, brother. That never works. I don't know why that is. So weird. But like you could, you could be operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and that doesn't mean you have to get up in front and speak to people. And you can read the list and look at them and say, okay, what are the gifts of the Spirit operate in each of these areas? But there's, there's a whole list. And some of us, some of us, what happens is in the church, someone will give a word, uh, a prophecy. Someone will uh, speak in tongues and then interpret it. And we're just like, well, check mark, woohoo, we're still a Pentecostal church. The gifts of the Spirit are moving to praise. That is not what I see in Scripture. You want to know if the gifts of the Spirit are moving in praise? Are we building one another up, each of us individually? Are we stirring up the gifts of Spirit in our own hearts? It's not one or two or three. It's all of us. And it's a varied list of gifts. And it's not all just one kind of thing. There's a big list. Read them. Look at them. See what it is and see what the Holy Spirit does in your life. It's not just one thing and it's not a checkmark thing for sure. So the gifts of the Spirit are for each and every one of us. They're not only for us, but they're for us to serve one another as good stewards. And if for those of us who speak, let's speak as oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here's my favorite part. Why we do it. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are doing that for the glory of God. Not for our own glory, but for his glory. And, and I love that picture because there's actually another spot in Scripture where it talks about this same thing over in Ephesians chapter 4, and it says it in a different way, which I just think is so incredibly beautiful. In Ephesians chapter 4, start reading in verse 4. Here's what it says. There is one body and one spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We know because when you keep reading down in verse 11, it's obvious. And then it says in verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And the picture that we see here is what's called the Roman triumph. For those of you who are history nerds, you probably know about this kind of thing. But when a Roman general defeated an opposing army, which happened a lot because Rome, right? But when a Roman general defeated an enemy, and not just like a little one, like if there were 5,000 Romans and 100 enemies, like, okay, you kind of expected to win that. But when it was a major battle and it was a tremendous victory, the Senate or the emperor would invite that Roman general to what's called a triumph, which was kind of a scary thing. Because what that Roman general would get to do is march right through Rome with his entire army. Like you're just asking for a military coup, right? So these weren't given out very often. But when the general would come through, he'd be followed by his army. And after his army, you'd have all of those that were the captives that came from this victory. 
And the Roman general would give out gifts just like candy at a parade thrown to kids. In fact, Julius Caesar, when he did his triumph, he had coins minted with his image on the front, talking about his victory on the back. And they threw these coins out, totally just playing to the crowd. But every time then that they would use those coins, it would speak back to the victory of Caesar. What I see in this scripture is that exact same thing. Jesus Christ has triumphed, a tremendous victory. And now he has given out these gifts. And every time we use one of these gifts, we are speaking to and pointing direction back to Jesus Christ's victory. Now, if that's not a reason to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I don't know what is. Because it is for his glory that we do these things. Okay, so this is the setup. This is the foundation. These are the gifts that we're talking about that are given to each and every one of us. But as these gifts are given, then Paul tells us, stir these things up. So I want to turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. 1 Timothy chapter 4, because there he actually gives us, here's how you stir up the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Here's what it says. Do not neglect the gift you have. In other words, don't let it burn out, right? Saying the exact same thing. Don't don't neglect this gift. Don't let it burn out. Stir it up. And then he says, do not neglect this gift which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He says, practice these things. Now, I'm convinced that the Lord has given me the gift of the Spirit of preaching and teaching, pastoring. You might feel differently. That's all right. (laughs) But I believe that the Holy Spirit has given me that gift. But you know what I didn't do? I did not just climb up on stage and start preaching. In fact, the very first time I preached in youth, I'd been invited to preach, and the church was at 6.30, and I got here at 1 o'clock, and I went back in what was the old sky room, now is the North Hall, and when there was nobody else around, I preached that message, and I preached it again, and then I preached it again. And you know what else I practiced? I practiced sitting in my chair and watching the clock. And I said, I'm going to start in exactly five minutes. So I let the anticipation build. And during that five minutes, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to move. And then when the five minutes was over, I got up and I started preaching. You know what I did the first time that I was preaching in this room? I came in at 10 p.m. the night before. Nobody else around. All the lights are out, and I climb up on stage. Did the exact same thing. Climb up on stage, and from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., I practiced these things. Does that make it less spiritual? Absolutely not. Because here what I see is that the gifts of the Spirit are given to us, but we have to practice them. We have to step into them, and we don't have to have it all figured out right off the bat. And we're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Because you practice them. And then it says after you practice them, what else does it say? It says immerse yourself in them. 
I love the word immerse. When I'm baptizing people, I don't want to sprinkle them. I want to immerse them. And if I'm the one baptizing you and I feel like I didn't get your nose fully dipped, what I'll do is you start coming up. You're like, don't, don't breathe in because I'll shove you back down until you're fully immersed in the water. Praise the Lord. Never drowned somebody yet. I know. Praise the Lord. All right. My kids were doing the swimming practice and I told you about this before, and I love it because it's such a perfect illustration. They're learning how to swim, and at the end, if they did a good job of, during the lesson, what they get to do is they go over to the side of the pool, and the teacher stands there and says, all right, we're going to have a good time. Here's what you want to do. You want to just jump into the water. She would let them jump in. Great teacher. She would let them jump in, and they'd go under, and then they'd pop back up. And for Clara, she, if she stood on her toes, her head would be just above water. But Asher's not that big yet. So when he jumps in, he's going under. Boy, if she's not there, he's going to stay under. But there's an incredible amount of trust. And I'm watching him do these belly flops into the water with such incredible trust that she will be there and grab him and take care of him. For us to move in the gifts of the Spirit and immerse ourselves in them, that's not dipping our toes in. That means this has to be a safe place where if somebody makes a mistake, it's okay because we're going to grab hold of them. That's what it looks like to immerse yourself. There needs to be trust in it. So he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Why? So that people may see you progressing in them. I love what that does not say. So people may see you be perfect. No. Does not say, so people may see perfection. No. It says, so people may see you progressing. Do they see you getting better? You want to know whether the Spirit's moving at praise assembly? Is there a progression? Is there a recognition of what this is supposed to look like? Are we growing in these things? Am I getting better at preaching? I hope so. Because if so, that means that the gift of the Spirit is still moving in me. There has to be a progression. Not perfect from the beginning, but a progression. And it's the same with the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. Because these are things that we have control over. That means we add ourselves into them. The Holy Spirit doesn't take over and we're just like an unwilling vessel. But instead, we're a part of it. And so as a result, if you ever hear a prophecy that's in the King James Version, you're like, God still speaks in the King James Version. And the answer is yes, yes, he does. No, that's not God. God's not stuck in 1611. That is somebody who is adding in their own perspective and who they are into this prophecy. And, and that's okay. Because that's a part of learning and recognizing, wait a second, he doesn't take control and just I lost everything. But there's got to be a progression of these things. Not perfect, progressing. So for some of us, it's like, okay, that's great, Alan. That's fantastic. I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Where in the world do I begin? Like, where do I begin? Like, Timothy, it says that he began when they laid hands on him. So does that mean we need to have, like, a really powerful prayer service, and then I'll start moving in the gifts of the Spirit? 
Well, let's look at that actual phrase there, because this is super important for us to grasp here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse uh, 13, 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, that's the same thing it says over in, in 2 Timothy 1, 6, when he says to him, this gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, those words are really very important because it speaks to where we begin. Here's what I mean. Those words are very specific when Paul uses them. He uses them also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, when he says to Timothy, do not be hasty in laying hands on somebody. You know what that means? Do not be hasty in putting somebody in leadership in ministry. That this is a very specific thing that it's talking about. When you put hands on somebody, that you are putting them into a position of leadership. He says, don't do that quick, because if you do that too fast and they sin, you're participating in your sin. Read it sometime, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. But we have a really beautiful image of this actually happening in Paul's own life as he's getting ready to step out in ministry. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. This is when Paul... Uh, it says, Saul here is getting ready to launch out into ministry. Here's what it says. Verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This is a great church, right? Like you got people who are friends with Herod the Tetrarch and just intermixing with everybody else. I mean, this is awesome. And he says, and Saul was there. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In other words, you have a prophetic word by one of these people who's in this church and says, okay, Barnabas and Saul, you need to set them aside because I have a very specific ministry for them. Okay, so, so set them aside. Designate them for this purpose. Okay. It says then, verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. See, we read that and we think that laying hands on them means that you're praying for them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. So there's a very specific thing that's happening here. They are designating them for ministry. So when Paul says to Timothy, this gift which is in you from the laying on of my hands, he's saying, this gift of the Spirit is in you from the moment you were set aside for ministry. Which means that the gift of the Spirit accompanies the call of ministry. Hear this, this is huge. How do you get started by using the gift of the Spirit and using the gifts of the Spirit? I know exactly where you need to start. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. You don't have to have it all figured out. Like our, our pattern is that we use these long forms that have gifts of the Spirit, and you read a bunch of questions, and you answer them all, and then afterwards you'll know what your gift is. We have one in our membership packet, which we are in the process of changing. I don't see a questionnaire anywhere in the Bible. 
okay? What I see in the Bible is that people step into ministry and the gifts of the Spirit come with it. So Timothy is set aside to pastor, and guess what? He receives the gift of pastoring and preaching and teaching and maybe evangelism. Okay, that's cool. Which means that if we are all called to receive these gifts, we are all called to minister. And you want to start moving in the gifts of the Spirit? Start somewhere. Step into ministry. And let me be super clear that that doesn't mean you have to get up on stage. I am not the only person in this room, and I know it for a fact, who has the gift of pastoring. You want to know how I know? Because I've been in small groups where I've watched it happen. Pastoring. Ministering in that way. I'm not the only one in this room who operates with the gift of teaching. You want to know how I know? Because I've been in the Sunday school classes while somebody's teaching. And I said, aha. It doesn't just have to be on stage. In fact, the vast majority of the ministry that's going on is not here on this stage. But it's in small groups and Sunday schools. It's over tables. And let me tell you what I'm not doing right now. What I am not doing is trying to recruit you to step into the nursery. We've got enough people in the nursery, and I'm so thankful for the way they recruit, because they don't recruit by saying, hey, we've got a need. They recruit by saying, hey, how about ministry? How about ministering to these kids? You want to figure out what your spiritual gift is? Start in some place and see if your spiritual gifting is there. And if not, check out another area and serve there. And I'm not saying it even needs to happen in this building because the vast majority of the gifts of the Spirit do not need to be happening in this building. They need to be happening at Ziggy's. Oh, never mind, not Ziggy's. They need to be happening at one of the restaurants that are actual restaurants in Springfield. Okay? <laughs> It needs to be happening one to another. It needs to be ministry that's going one person to another. That's what the gifts of the Spirit need to look like. It's not a check mark next to, hey, did we have a, a word in tongues and interpretation today? No, it's a matter of, is the church building each other up? Are we serving one another? Are we moving in these things and encouraging people in these things? And yet, and yet... In spite of the fact that Paul here, when he's handing the church off, says this is so vital for you. Vast majority of the time, when we ask somebody, would you be interested in stepping into ministry? And I don't want this to be a guilt trip. That's not what I'm going for here. What I am going for is this. Each and every one of us need to be ministering. And one of the hardest statements to hear is the statement... I've done my time. That is the most unbiblical, unchristlike statement I have ever heard. I've done my time. Where do you see that in here? These gifts of the Spirit are not something we operate in for a little while, and then we take that gift and we bury it until Jesus comes back. That is not it at all. And the other statement that I think I hear, but nobody has ever said, but I hear it often, 
and I can just feel it, is, oh, I did that before, and I got burned. See, I'm not interested in getting people to step into volunteer positions up there. What I'm talking about is plugging people into the life, the relationship, and the ministry of this church. Okay. But I hear people say without saying all the time, oh, I've done that before. I did that at a different church. Man, I buried my heart there. I was there five days a week. And you know what else? I gave. I gave to their building programs, and I sacrificed for that church. I've been through that. Maybe the pastor burned you, or maybe for whatever reason it fell apart. I don't know. But regularly I come up against this. Oh, I buried my heart, and I'm not doing that again. told you that this word that's used in 2 Timothy 1.6, it's a difficult word to translate. And the reason why it's a difficult word to translate and why the KJV and the New King James are the only ones that use stir up, the ESV and the NIV use fan into flames, the NRSV and the NASB use, use revive it or restart it or rekindle it. The reason why it's such a hard word to, tra to translate is it's only used two times in Scripture, so you don't have a lot of context. One of them is right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. The other one's actually in the Greek version of the Old Testament all the way back in Genesis chapter 45. Let me give you the context for what's happening in Genesis chapter 45. Jacob's an old man. He's been around a while. And his son Joseph died many years before. And boy, that broke him. It hurt him. So he sends his sons off to Egypt to get more grain because there's a famine going on. And they leave Benjamin behind. And Jacob's pretty broken at this point. Sends them back. And finally his brothers come back. And they tell him Joseph's alive. Here's what happens in chapter 45, verse 26. And they told him... Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. His heart became numb. He's been hurt before. <laughs> he knows where this leads. Joseph's gone. He's protecting himself. He's not going to allow that to happen again. You protect it. So his heart became numb refused to believe. And then it says, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Rekindled. Stirred up. All that fire that he thought was gone out. No, it wasn't gone out. Somebody had just banked the flame. And all it needed was to be stirred up and those coals start to burn again. That fire begins again. So easy when we're burned or burned out to just allow ourselves to get numb. 
And what I see is, no, no, no. No, no, no. Stir it. Stir it afresh and anew and see what comes of it. That's a beautiful picture. So here's what you need if you're in that place. You need to see the wagons coming. You need to see somebody's life who was changed. You need to hear about somebody who said, I came to praise. And for a while I came to praise and it was like we were visiting God. But now, now it's like we take God home with us. You need to hear about somebody like Susie Sutton who came to praise and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Life was changed. But that's not the end of it. Because Heidi Hardy in the young marrieds class takes her right alongside of her and ministers to her and shares with her what this can look like. Tabitha Prizer in the discipleship groups can pull her aside and talk to her about what it means to be a wife and a mother. And there's ministry that's happening one to another. And it's not just one life that's changed, but it's generations to come. So allow that heart that's numb to just begin to stir a little bit and see where it takes us. Because this is what we are called to do. Don't worry about the person in front of you. Don't worry about the person beside you. You worry about you. And you stir up the gift of God in your own heart. And here's what will come of it. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 in the message. Great passage. He handed out gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelist and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moved rhythmically and easily, we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults and fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Whoa. Read it again. You hear that? That's what this is supposed to look like. And you know what gets us there? The gifts of the Spirit. Sure sounds to me like there's some people dancing in an Assemblies of God church. But it's the gifts of the Spirit. So I believe God's stirring this church up. But even as he is, there are certain things that are our responsibility to stir. And the gifts of the Spirit is one of them. It's not my job to stir it up in you. It's your job to stir it up in your own heart. And whether you buried that gift long ago or you never even looked into it, oh God, what have you given to me? And you might say, I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's okay. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Just begin to move. Begin to minister. Begin to take somebody under your wing and minister to them. Share what it looks like to be somebody who follows Christ. And see what happens.
Because as you step into ministry, the gifts come along with it. Would you stand with me today? As we end, I just want to speak really quickly to you about Jesus Christ. Because it's all about Jesus. That's what I see in this passage. It's all about the victory that he's won. It's all about the triumph of Jesus over the enemy. And he came carrying trapped captives in his train. People who had been captive to the enemy let out, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise God. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. So if you're in here, you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not about being raised in church. It's not about doing the right things and acting a certain way. What it is about the fact that each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, praise God, Jesus Christ came in order that we might have salvation. So while we are all in sin, we all are corrupted by it. Jesus Christ has provided salvation for us. His sacrifice was enough. What we do is we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we will be saved. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and I just want to encourage you that if you've never done that here and confessed out loud with your own voice, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, put your faith in him that he died for your sins and the scriptures are true and God raised him from the dead. If you've never done that, then you can do that here today. And I just want, I'm just asking, do that right now, even as I pray. But then after I pray, as the prayer and altar team comes down to the front, they're going to come down to the front even as I'm praying. And if you're in here and you need prayer, just step forward and come and pray with them. Because they're not only going to pray with you right now, but they'll pray with you all through the week for each of those requests that you bring to them. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you come and pray with them as well? And after I pray, we're going to go back into that song we sang earlier. And as we do, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts. For those whose fires have been banked, hearts have become numb, that once again it would begin to stir up in you. And the power of the Spirit would move in your heart and say, it's time. It's time because you've been called to serve and to give glory to Jesus Christ and using the gifts of the Spirit does that very thing. Let's pray. Father, right now we do come to you as those who have been called, as those who have been drawn, as those who are here because of the fact that you wanted us here today. Father, I believe there are some in the sound of my voice right now who have not put their faith in you, who have not yet confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And today I pray that they would just begin to speak out even as I do and say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Him and him alone, there is no other name by which I can be saved. And put their faith in Jesus Christ right now in this place, in this moment. Father, I pray that even as you're stirring in this church, there's a little bit of an unsettled anticipation. God, I pray that we would begin to stir our own hearts afresh and anew. 
And even if we buried our hearts somewhere else and we got burned and so we haven't gotten involved again, oh Lord, may we get involved. May we serve and operate in the gifts that you gave us in order that Jesus Christ would receive all the glory. May the gifts of the Spirit progress at praise. May there be a progression at praise. May we practice them. May we immerse ourselves in them. And may it all be done for the glory of Jesus Christ. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to worship really quick here. And as we do in a moment, Pastor Dylan will dismiss you. But even as you're singing, would you just pray and ask for the Lord to begin to stir anew the Spirit inside of you and the gifts of the Spirit inside of you. May we be a church that progresses.